0: There's a sign in the gym that says, Prespiration is just fat trying to get out. I've lost five pounds this morning. And I don't know how much before it's over with. Uh, But I I do want to uh, step back just a moment because um, I was not here last Sunday. And I promised that we would have a hallelujah moment for Miss Penny Gruber when she came back to church. And I, I I Penny, I'm sorry I missed you back last week, but it is such a, a joy to see you here. And it is a hallelujah moment. Before I left to go out of town, I had a visit with Penny and I walked in and she was smiling. She said, I'm going home tomorrow. And uh we we just, just celebrated, didn't we not? And uh it was just a a a, a journey that uh it was God's grace. As uh, quick a journey, uh, overcoming, so uh, we are uh, grateful for what God has done, and thank you for your faith and uh, per- perseverance, and you're back. And so uh, that's exactly where you need to be, right? Um, uh, while, I'm, while I'm at it, uh, Steve Robbins, where are you? Okay, you know, Steve's been going through uh, a battle also, and uh, he's now officially in surveillance mode. Amen. And uh, through chemo, and uh, it's been a journey too, has it not, Steve? And what a great testimony of uh, perseverance and God's grace uh, on you and, and uh, what uh, testimony that you have. And uh, we just look forward to uh, continued uh, in, in surveillance and getting beyond this. So uh, we're grateful for that. And uh, also, uh, Miss uh, Mary Bishop here today, and uh, she's been on a journey herself, and uh, she's uh, beginning the next part of that this week in uh, radiation, but she's had chemo and surgery, and uh, beautiful as ever, looking strong, and again, God's grace, and we're thankful for that. Uh, Grace is a big word, and uh, thanks to the choir for that beautiful song. Um, uh, I want to talk about grace today, and I, I feel So inadequate to be standing here to start with. But uh, I um, started, um, several months ago, we had a a part of our men's discipleship group. We were looking for a book uh, to study. Well, we picked this book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and it was called The Cost of Discipleship. I don't know if many of you or any of you are familiar with it. But it is a powerful book. I don't know if you even know much about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, but let me just share with you just a little bit. He was born in 1906. He was born to a fairly affluent family in in Germany, and I think it was Breslov. And uh, he was a brilliant man. He, He earned his first doctorate before he was 20. He was a master pianist. And in his uh, chosen career of uh, psychiatry, uh, he had the call of the Lord upon his heart, and he became passionate about that. So passionate that in, he was in his early adult years, this was when, after World War I, uh, the power, uh, the, the, uh, Hitler was trying to, to get power, and uh, socialism was turning to Nazism, and Uh, the uh, church was being persecuted and he was in America at that time and he left to go to Germany because he said I want uh, the church to stand against Nazism and he left to go to stand up against Hitler think about that Uh, almost a modern day Paul he he literally stood up and talked out about the Nazism and socialism and and how the church needed to stand firm in Jesus Christ. And he was put in prison. Uh, Some friends uh, got him out, and he left to go to Britain and uh, stayed there momentarily, but he said, You know, I need to be in Germany. That's my land. That's the people that I love, and the church is being desecrated because of Nazism. And he went back. And so he was imprisoned again. And he was moved from prison to concentration camp to prison to concentration camp. He wrote this book, The Cost of Discipleship, while he was in prison. It's a powerful book. In fact, in, in his writings, uh, he had befriended the uh, the Third Reich soldiers who would take manuscripts and smuggle them out for him. Uh, He made such an impact while he was in prison that they would allow him to go talk to those in need who were hurting or dying, that he could go and minister to prisoners. Um, He was finally accused, his brother and uh, sister-in-law were part of the, um, I don't know what I'd call it, the the uh, organization that wanted to assassinate Hitler. And uh, he was, uh, again, put into a concentration camp because they thought he was associated with that movement. Although he did not know, they said, well, you knew about it, you had to know about it, so we're going to treat you like you did. He was hanged about three weeks before Berlin was liberated in 1945. All for standing up, for Jesus, the cost of discipleship—it was heavy for him, and it was a powerful book that he wrote and uh, was published uh, later in uh, uh, later in the later in the forties. And I think it's been a, a, a book that's been read many times over and taught from. And so I want to uh, speak to you a little bit today uh, from that, because as he gets into the cost of discipleship, he starts out with grace and talking about grace and what resonated with me through through all of this was the fact that he talks about cheap grace and costly grace never thought about it like that what's cheap grace what's costly grace well first of all I want to let's talk about grace Uh, the choir so eloquently sung in that song it talks about grace unending grace well I think that um Grace came as a result of two of of God's greatest acts of mercy. The first act of mercy was when Jesus gave up everything to come to become flesh. It was part of a process. The second act of mercy was when Jesus gave his all again for us on the cross. We were redeemed because of his blood. And that turned into become God's greatest act of grace. Not just grace, but what did we just sing about? What kind of grace? Amazing grace. Amazing grace. Can we comprehend it? What is grace? Well, grace, I think, is the power of God through Jesus Christ, through our redemption, that enables us to have the joy of life in all of life no matter what's going on. You know, in today's time of technology, we think of computer and and, uh, capacity for computers. Okay? Uh, We measure uh, capacity in gigabytes, terabytes, what have you. Well, let me ask. Let me tell you this. God's grace is bigger. It's no capacity. God's capacity includes grace for every need that we have individually, every blessing that we have, Multiply that times every believer, and there's more grace than that. We can't understand it. It's immeasurable. Uh, It's incomprehensible. Let me uh, read again to you uh, from Ephesians. Beginning in verse 7, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. That is true wealth, immeasurable, riches of God's grace. That he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Lavished. Don't we all want to be lavished with things? What better to be lavished with than the grace of God? But not only lavished with grace, but with wisdom and understanding. To know him. To know what grace is. Uh, When uh, Paul was writing uh, in Romans and talking about grace, uh, the concept was that as sin increased, so did grace. So why don't we just sin all we want? But Paul says no. In chapter 6, it says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may be increased? By no means, emphatically, by no means, no It says, we died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? So you say grace is bigger than sin, but it's the wisdom and and knowledge that we get, the understanding of grace, that should drive us to be different, to live apart from that sin. So even though um, uh, beginning... The, the beginning of grace, I think, is the redemption of our sins, our, the forgiveness of our sins. But how do we get to this joy that he wants? And, and so um, later in, uh, in Ephesians, it talks about um, what we have. It says, Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Not only with the redemption, Jesus left us with the Holy Spirit as a deposit, as a guarantee. In other words, from the time that we believe until we're called home again, he's given this resource of, of grace, great grace, amazing grace, to call upon him to use that to experience the joy in life. All the blessings that we have, uh, all of the Uh, Needs that we have The obstacles that we have to overcome Uh, One of my favorite songs Is Oh Glorious Day And it's a good old hymn And it's a good uh, great hymn uh, 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 Today with uh, uh, contemporary music But I I love the chorus And and it it just says it all Living he loved me Dying he saved me Buried he carried my sins far away Rising he justified me, freely forever. One day he's coming, oh glorious day. That song, that phrase is the gospel. But we're justified. In other words, no matter what we've done, we've been forgiven. And we can stand before God as if we had never sinned. That's amazing grace. But it's better than that. Uh, just a couple weeks ago, a little over a week or so ago, uh, I was introduced to another song, and it's called Glorious Day. And it's sung, it was, it's, it's been performed by a group called Passion. And here's, a, here's a, a line in that song. It says, it was my tomb till I met you. You called my name, and I came running out of the grave. Think about that. It was my tomb. It was our tomb until we met Jesus. Again, amazing grace. So what is grace? I, I, I want to just talk a little bit about it uh, from the standpoint of uh, where, uh, how we use grace, what, what access that we have, and, and our blessings are immeasurable. I mean, we can look at our families, uh, the, the blessings of God's provision. Uh, We look at our friends, our church, uh, the opportunity to provide for our families. We are truly blessed when we look back on our life. But if we look at it, um, we can see that uh, uh, it not only just begins with uh, the power of the Holy Spirit, but how we reach out to God. And, And I was trying to, and this is not a comprehensive list, but I was thinking of things in my own life uh, how I have called on God's grace when I've been weak I've received strength when things have seemed dark there's been light sometimes I've lost my way I've received direction when I've doubted I've received confidence when I've been in despair I've received hope fear I've received courage. Broken. I've received mending. Inadequate. I've been. I've re- received the ability. Obviously, sin. We've received forgiveness. Death. We've received eternal life. In distress, we've been rescued. I think we all can identify with some of these feelings, and as we have. Uh, as, as we have experienced uh, these feelings and we 've called out to God to help us through, and, and more times than not we, can, we can't count probably how He has given us answers, has given us peace, has given us hope. Um, I want uh, to tell you a little bit of story, a little story about grace as it pertained to uh, my life. Uh, Tom and Joyce can probably attend, identify with a little bit of this. Um, uh, A few years ago, we went to Botswana, Africa. And um, I I felt a little bit inadequate. I had a a little bit of doubt, a little bit of fear about why I was going. It was not because we were going halfway around the world. It was not because uh, we were going to sleep in tents for two weeks. And it was not because that it was June here and summertime it was winter there and that the nights were below freezing and sleeping in a tent. I didn't have any apprehensions about that. But this mission trip uh, was to be evangelical and uh, witnessing to the people. But there was also a little concern that was a big concern for me was Botswana is uh, one of the highest incidences of AIDS in the world. In, a, in, in some of the smaller villages, they dug a grave every day because someone was going to die the next day from AIDS. Here, and I didn't have an understanding of AIDS, but I was, how do you communicate with people with AIDS? Are we going to catch it? Is it transmittable? And, uh, and, and so those were the concerns that I had with evangelizing and, and how to deal with AIDS. But it was after a, a lot of prayer and uh, as, a, as a team that we went. Well, let me ask how God works. Uh, my team uh, was spending uh, time in the, the town of Francistown, and it was kind of the capital city of Botswana. Some of the other teams were out in the villages and what have you. It was in a poor town, and it was some uh, commercialization, and we and, and, and were walking around one of the neighborhoods. And um, uh, Marianne Palmer and uh, 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 Sarah Popham were walking with me. And we were doing some prayer walking. Some of the other team had gone off, and they were meeting with some of the uh, some of the children and playing. We saw two uh, senior adult ladies come walking towards us, and we thought hey, this was a great opportunity to uh, reach out and introduce ourselves and uh, share the gospel and invite them to the local church. But as they got to us, it was only one senior adult lady and her. 21 year old daughter who looked older than her mother suffering from AIDS and uh, you know what the first response was just hug them overcame the doubt the fear just to love them and we were able to invite them uh, uh, share the gospel invite them to church and um, the the that next Sunday when we were in church there, they were there. I, I wish I could tell you I, I knew the rest of the story but I don't. But the fact that God met me in my time of, of fear or, or inadequacy how to deal with that, it was just love, hug F- had no remorse, I didn't think about it, didn't think about it again. It was just natural. Just love them. And um, so uh, we went um, A little further around the corner, and uh, I I had gone a little bit ahead. The 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 girls had talking to some children, and uh, I I heard this voice coming from the front yard. And uh, this lady, this mother, said, uh, "Are you with this missionary group that's in here?" And I said, "Yes, ma'am." And she said, "Can you tell me about eternal life?" Now, what do you say? When you're doubt or you feel inadequate, I said, well, yes, ma'am, I'll be glad to. And so I went down uh, in, in the front yard, and uh, I'm talking, and she had uh, four of her daughters were sitting there, and three or four sons that were standing over in the background just kind of watching. And I said, well, y'all want to come? And they, they, they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't do it. But I started sharing the gospel. And um, there were some questions. And then as I was talking and then I saw this look of horror come over this lady's face. And the girls kind of cringed and I'm like, what, what's wrong? And, and she pointed and I turned and the witch doctor was r- running from the gate. And, um, and I looked and, and on the ground at the, at the gate were a pile of bones. And, uh, and I'm thinking, oh boy, what do I do? Well. I kind of got this uh, Peter mentality at that moment, and I walked over to those bones, and I put my big foot and crushed them and stomped them, twisted, and then just kicked them in the dirt. And they're like, how can you do that? I said, those bones have no power. I said, the only God that we're talking about right now has power. And I invited them to church, and again, that next Sunday, They were in church. She came up to me and tapped me on the shoulder and said, Look over there. And there were the daughters and the boys in church. I always wondered if she had to take a stick (laughs) to those boys to, to get them to come there. Okay? But they were there. I don't know the rest of that story. But you see how grace comes in at times when we feel inadequate, when we have doubt or fear or, or any of the other things, the obstacles that, that life puts, uh, puts us in, then uh, God's grace always meets us when we meet him. And, um, and, and it, it turned out to be just a, a great trip of evangelizing and seeing lives change as we were able to, to do drama for kids in school. Imagine doing that, going to a school today. And doing a drama, presenting the gospel. But we, we had the freedom to do that. So sometimes we do have to step out. Sometimes we have to get out of the, our comfort zone. But God meets us in, in, that, time, in that time of need. Um, but, um, but this access that we have to, uh, to grace, what do we do with it? You know, it's there for us. It says here in the scripture that it's free. Freely given. It's rich. It's immeasurable. But how do we use it? Well, in um, Hoff, uh, uh, Hoffenheimer's book, uh, Bonhoeffer's uh, book, when he talks about how we as believers cheapen grace, you see, the grace is not to those unbelievers. But now we have access to this wealth of grace. What do we do with it? How do we use it? Well, he had a he had a, a a concept, and 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 it's it's like a lot of things in life, you know. There there's things that we know, right? Yes. But then there are things that we do. There's a gap, is it not? A lot of times, it can be a big gap, and sometimes not a not so big a gap. But same thing with grace. We've got grace. But what's the gap of how do we use it? How do we respond to it? If it's down here, if the gap is wide then then we have cheapened grace. Um, we have not used it as intended as, as available. Uh, we have not called upon that grace. So the question is how do we how do we uh, cheapen grace well well one of the, uh, the, the the first things i I come up with was Our attitude. What's our attitude? What's the attitude about our salvation? So many times in in church life, uh, it's a checklist. Well, I've been saved. I've been baptized. I'm a church member. I'm doing good. I'm okay. That's not what grace is about. Is it? Grace is a relationship. It's growing. It's not just a checklist or something that's done. I'll move on uh, to something else. Another way that we, we cheapen it is by our commitment or lack thereof, or our priority or lack thereof. Um, I told the guys in uh, Connect Group this morning they were going to hear, hear some of this again today. Um, it's all about excuses. How many times do we hear excuses to cover up lack of commitment or lack of priority? When our focus is not on Jesus, we make excuses. Um, And and we've heard them all And and they're all pretty flimsy When we're talking about The gift of grace And the gift of eternity They they just They wane Benjamin Franklin said He That is good for making excuses Is seldom good For anything else Let that sink in Now, I will ask you this. What do you think God thinks of excuses? That's that's a little bit more revealing, is it not? All All of a sudden, it makes our excuses seem even more flimsy than they were. Another way that we cheapen grace is that we compromise the truth. Or we 're tolerant of less than the truth now I can say that in the world, but I can say in god 's truth because we know that god 's truth there's there's no compromise there's no there's no tolerance in two thousand and sixteen the Oxford Dictionary uh, had the word of the year that they included in the dictionary. Uh, one have any of you heard of post truth that was the word now think about in 2016 what was going on Uh, our elections and well there was a lot of truth there was there not (laughs) Uh, the Brexit controversy in England uh, with uh, Great Britain wanting to withdraw from uh, the European Union and and there were everybody was accusing and saying this and that And, and, and on top of all of that was um, all the social concerns that were going on. Well, this was the word, post-truth. Let me read you the definition in that. Now, this is a a really wordy, but it it sounds like Oxford, uh, and it sounds like it's trying to cover something up, too. (laughs) All right. Post-truth. Relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in sharing public opinions I'm sorry in shaping public opinions than appeals to emotion and personal belief Okay Now redneck translation <laughs> Feelings overrule truth Now do we see that in life today We can't find the truth anymore, can we? But are Christians any better than that? Look at our churches. Why are our churches dying in so many instances, closing the doors? Why is the church having less of a witness impact in life? It's because we have compromised the truth. Look at the things that we have to consider now in church membership and things to to cover, to protect the truth of God's word, to legally protect ourselves. We we don't know what the truth is except by pursuing it and following Christ. And that means everything that, that, that I've talked about so far going against that. When we think about attitude, we think about commitment, uh, priority, uh, compromising, or tolerance. See, these are all societal words, and they're cultural words, but they relate to the church also. Uh, we can look over, most everyone in here, we can go back 50 years ago and see how life has changed, how we have compromised the truth. We can look at abortion. Uh, we look uh, uh, at the uh, uh, sexual prom- promiscuity and uh, the tolerance uh, that, that we have there. Uh, we, can, we can look at uh, the addictions, uh, same-sex marriages, attitude toward all the social concerns, the same things that were going on two years ago that made uh, the, the word post-truth real. It's been going on for a long time, but it's happening in church life also, in 1 John 2.15, it says, If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. Wow. Do we see love of the world today in Christian life? Yes. But the Bible is truth, and it's very explicit. If anyone lives, loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. James 4, 4. It says, Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Pretty straightforward. That's the truth. See, that's the truth that we're getting away from. That we're God has called us to. uh, He's using us to to be his disciples. But if we're falling short, look at the witness that we're given to the world. That we're just like the world. So if we're just like the world, why does the world want any part of it? Cheap grace. So what's costly grace? Well, costly grace is, as I said earlier, is the opposite of all of that. Um, Really, it's simple. Follow. Follow Jesus. Uh, we need to uh, seek Jesus in a relationship. We need to make him a priority. We need to seek the truth. Not post-truth, but the truth. We need obedience. Um, to me, uh, uh, the, the perfect example of following is the example of Peter. And we all know Peter, and we know that on the the first confrontation that that when he met Jesus, they were fishing, and Jesus uh, walked by and he says, drop your nets, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. What did Peter do? He followed. Did he have a relationship with Jesus? No. I, I, there's no, nothing in the Bible that says he knew anything or much about Jesus. But I don't know. There's just something about Jesus you follow. He was obedient. He didn't have faith immediately. He had to work on that faith, did he not? But he followed. And, and it was that simple step of being obedient and following. And so that was in uh, Matthew 4.19. It talks about follow me and I will make you fishers of men well then we, we go on a little further and um, uh, we, we, we have another situation with, uh, with Peter and um, uh, they're going along and um, in Mark eight thirty three through 34 Jesus says something else but let me back up and say what, what's happened is it that Jesus has been talking about uh, uh, his impending death of what was to come. Well, Peter didn't want to have any part of that. And he tried to talk Jesus out of it. And so what happened? Jesus rebuked Peter. Peter hadn't learned, had he? But he was following Jesus. And Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, he must... Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now that was just a a little different lesson for Peter in that that what happens? Deny self to follow. And then the next step is take up your cross. What, What does taking up our cross mean? Well, it really means that we are identifying with the death of the old life and we're celebrating the new life that we have in Christ. We take that cross up, symbolizing the old is gone, and, and Peter's having to learn this that, wait a minute this is this is what that means and, and and so so Jesus said, "Follow me after that, but what do you have to do to follow to become a disciple, deny self, deny the world, don't live in the world, and then throw off the old life you know we're, we're told uh Paul tells us in uh, other other places that uh, we are a new creation. The old is gone. The old is forgotten. So, deny self. Take up your cross and follow me. Well, that's not the end of the story because we know that later on as we're going through things and that after Jesus has um, uh, risen from the grave and, and uh, he confronts Peter who said he would never deny him and yet he did three times and and Jesus asked him three more times, "Do you love me and uh, I'm sure that that peter was was getting a, a little uh frustrated but um he was uh, in uh, john twenty one uh verses fifteen through nineteen but i I'll go down to uh nineteen and it says um Jesus said to indicate the kind of death that Peter would have when he said, Feed my sheep. Tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Kind of an indication of how Peter's life was, was going to end. Uh, not understanding fully that. And then he, he went on to say, then again in, in verse 19, follow me. And by this time, Peter had seen a lot. Now if he hadn't have been a follower of Jesus, if he hadn't seen the miracles and learned the teaching and learned the truth, could he be at this point? Um, he was building a relationship with Jesus. The key here was following and staying the course. But you know what? Peter kind of messed up again right after that. As they were leaving, he he had just uh, had committed to Jesus that he loved him three times. And as they're walking along, he sees John and then he asks Jesus, what about him? What's going to be his place in the kingdom? And Jesus I don't know. I I, I don't know what his expression might have been. But he basically said, what's that to you? Just follow me. I'm the priority. The priority is not who else gets what or what else is going on. So in my search here, Jesus told Peter four times to follow him. And each time there was a lesson in it about obedience, about the old life. About following, feeding, being a disciple. Well, the next time we see see Paul, we look in Acts. And what's happening to Paul? He's been baptized with the Holy Spirit. He begins preaching. First thing we read is 3,000 people were saved. The next thing we read is the beginning of the new church. Because... He followed. Now, is that same thing going to happen to us? I I don't know if salvation is going to come to 3,000 people. Uh, We start a church. uh, uh, But but it shows you the power and the grace of God when we follow. That anything is possible. And we just have to be be obedient. I'll give you another little illustration of uh, following Al, I love Al like a brother, and uh, I don't know. Um, I don't think I've ever told him no when he's asked me something, and and I have every reason to say no. <laughs> because you know, not long ago in a far, far galaxy. There was a minister of music and worship that had something called the Durham Christmas Pageant. And uh, Gail and I were new to the church. And we had joined before a Christmas pageant and thought, well, you know, that would be a good way to get involved and get to know the people. And one, of the, I thought, well, maybe I'll get involved and, you know, work behind the scenes, move stuff, you know, whatever. Somebody said, well, he, he needs some stand-ins you know, on the scene or something like that. Uh, Okay, well, whatever. Next thing I know, uh, Al says, you're going to be a hobo? (laughs) And there's lines. Wait a minute. I was told there were no lines. But we do. We go through the the script. And then about a week before it, he says, can we meet? I've got a little dance. (laughs) I want you all to do. A dance? Wait a minute. This thing is getting... Out of control. It did. And it did. <laughs> and it was not a dance. It was public humiliation. <laughs> but we went through that. But you know, when we got through the process, okay, using the truth, some relevant story about life and some humor, lives were changed. People Recommitted lives. There was salvation. People were saved because of that. Now, the reason was not because I followed uh, then Al's heart, not his human heart, but the heart that he had for Jesus. You see, that's, that's the difference in how we follow. It's What is the heart behind who we're following? If we're seeking Jesus' heart, we can never go wrong. And nothing but good comes from that. And the world today is following too many wrong hearts. And, and that's, the, that's the, the, bottom, the bottom line. And, um, and, and so every time I hear Al come by and he'll say, Hey, Rodney, good old buddy, good friend, good pal of mine. What do you think is my first response? (laughs) Oh no, here we go again. What's it going to be? But then I know, because I know his heart, and I do it, because I know the good. I think about the music that we sing in worship. It's all for a purpose, but you know what it is? It's us interacting with God's word. The songs that we sang this morning, I mean, they're God's Word. They've been inspired by God, put to music for us to enjoy. Not to listen, and and listening is good, but it's interaction with God's Word. And that's what following is, interaction with God, with Jesus, in discipleship, in following, in costly grace. Because it costs something. We have to say no to the world to become a disciple. And then as we become disciples, as the production of Daryl Christmas pageant, everybody that was part of that was a disciple because we're not after self. We're trying to make an impact on the lostness in the world. And so um, I'll, I'll close with this. Why is it costly grace? It's costly because it costs us our life. Think about that; it costs us our life. But it's grace because it gives us true life, our life, our old life. That's what it costs us to say no to the world. But costly uh, it's grace because it gives us true life, and that's why it's such amazing grace. Because no matter how many times we stumble, and Peter did. But look what happened. look how God used him because of his obedience, because of his faithfulness. And so I would ask uh, as, we, as we close today, how big is your gap in grace? What do you know, and what do we do? Are we growing in grace and dependence and fellowship of Jesus Christ or? Do we let the excuses come in and, and and we take a step back or a couple steps back? But I I think it's a, a great illustration to measure because we know exactly what we need to be doing. How do we do it? Or if we do it, do we stay with it? So um, it, it, it is costly grace, but it's worthy. It's worth it because it's amazing grace. And it's something... To, to celebrate, and it's beyond redemption. It's joy, joy in life, joy in uh, in uh, being a part of God's kingdom now, and helping to lead others into that kingdom. So, uh, as we close, and as Al comes to to lead us, I would just uh, challenge you to uh, remember the riches of God's grace. Uh, not that they've just there, but they've been lavished on us. But not just there, but lavished with what? Understanding and wisdom. So we know what's there, and we know what we should do. So uh, let me close this with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for, for this day, and uh, thank you for this time together. Father, we know that uh, amazing grace... Is so powerful. And it's right at our hands, uh, right at our hearts, Lord, to, to capture. And so, Father, I would uh, pray that uh, as, as believers, as our church, as, as the church, uh, your church, Lord, that we would uh, close the gap between what we know and what we do. That, Father, that what we do would bring glory and honor to you. And, Father, we can only do that through the costly grace that you've given us. And Lord, it cost you, but Lord, you said that we were worth more than Jesus coming to be flesh or Jesus giving his life because you deemed us more precious. And Lord, help us not to take that lightly, that we walk with you, that we keep the gap close at hand. And uh, we thank you for this time and uh, go with us as as we leave here in the week and the challenges that lie before us, Lord, that we reach out and uh, call upon your grace to help us, Lord, that we stand not alone and that we try to not be alone, that we depend and lean completely on you. For us in his name we pray. Amen.